Welcome to Suiting Up Varsity, a podcast dedicated to the sound of the band, the smell of popcorn, the feel of an old letter jacket, the sight of teenagers hoisting trophies high above their heads, and most of all, to the grand history, fantastic stories, and engaging personalities of Nebraska prep sports. Join us as we look back in time at the great moments from a century plus of Nebraska high school athletics. Before we climb in the time machine today, let's talk a second about the Nebraska High School Sports Hall of Fame in Lincoln. One of my favorite uh, parts is right as you walk in the door, uh, there's kind of a locker room, which makes sense, right? Before the big game, you have to get ready in the locker room. And in the locker room on the wall, they have represented all the mascots from all the high school sports teams in Nebraska. They have sort of have them sorted by ma- mascots. So if you want to see all the teams that are Eagles, or if you want to look at which nicknames only have one school or which nickname has the most, it's color-coded by school colors. It's really, really pretty cool. I know you're listening to this, you know, on your fancy new phone probably. How about you just, you know, tell that phone, say, I want to go to 500 Charleston Street, Lincoln, Nebraska, and, uh, and follow those instructions and head to the Nebraska High School Hall of Fame. You won't regret it. This week, when our time machine touches down, it is March 6th, 1948, and we are sitting in an airplane hangar at the small Grand Island Airport north of town. We are glad to be out of the snow and cold, as the state has been blanketed by 10 to 20 inches of snow in the past week from two different storms. But we aren't waiting on a flight to Florida. We're here for a basketball game. We are in the wooden bleachers, built when this hangar was part of the war effort, and the Army Air Corps hosted basketball games here for troop morale with soldiers playing local college teams. This game isn't college boys versus airmen, though. We are crowded in among 3,000 other prep basketball fans for the finals of the Class A Regional Tournament, matching the Hastings Tigers and the undefeated defending state champion host team, the Grand Island Islanders. As the Islanders take the floor in their white home uniforms trimmed in purple and gold, we see the three stars of an amazing 41-game Grand Island winning streak that is on the line tonight. Dale Toft, Bob Nickram, and Bobby Reynolds. The Islanders haven't just been dominating Nebraska basketball. They've been dominating practically the entire high school sports scene for the last 15 months. It started last basketball season when the Islanders rattled off 22 straight wins and cruised to the state title, averaging 56 points while only giving up 32 a game. They followed that up by finishing second in the summer American Legion Baseball State Tournament with many of the same athletes. In the fall, they were right back on top, going 10-0 and winning the Big Ten football crown and the mythical state title in all the newspapers. And now, here we are back in another basketball season, and the purple and gold are 19-0 and ranked number one and hosting the Class A district. Their 41 straight wins are the best ever in Class A. That Islander win streak had its start in a bit of hurly-burly and controversy, and it came at the expense of another record-threatening streak. Back in December of 1946, it was the Lincoln High Lynx who were the defending champions. Remember, we chronicled their 26-0 state title in 45-46 on another Suiting Up episode. When this GI outfit came to town to play the champs, the Lynx had already added two more Ws, and at 28 straight wins, were just nine wins short of the Class A state record at the time, the 37 wins Lincoln High recorded from 1908 to 1910. 
But Grand Island edged the Lynx that night 36-34. to One streak died and another got rolling. This, that was win three in a row for GI, but it has all the markings of a great Genesis story, with the reigning king Lynx as the foil, with strange circumstances like a malfunctioning clock and a Lincoln player scoring a basket at the wrong hoop, and with a timely hero, Islander Bob Nickram, tipping in the winning basket with just three seconds left in the game. The craziness continued after the buzzer that night, as the new kings of the court had to escape the Whittier Junior High gym to avoid some not-so-royal treatment from the Link fans, who evidently hadn't lost in so long they had forgotten how. The next Thursday morning in December of 46, Lincoln Athletic Director Ralph Beechner would drive to Grand Island with his student council and senior class presidents and high-scoring forward Dick Means in the car to apologize in person for the treatment of the Islander players and fans after the game by what he called a few Lincoln High students. Olive Getman, the Link student council president, told a convocation at Gish that morning that she was spearheading a program at her school to quote, teach Lincoln High fans how to lose, unquote. Grand Island fans themselves would not need that lesson very much in the next two years. They would give Class A its second straight unbeaten champ with a 40-36 state title rematch win over Lincoln High as one of its only close games in a 22-0 season. Those three Islanders we mentioned earlier were multi-sport stars being involved in many of those wins and seasons. Dale Toft was a six-foot-six, twice all-Nebraska basketball player, but he was also an all-state football player. Bob Nickram was all-state basketball as a senior, but was a star on the American Legion summer team, hitting a 325-foot homer in the state championship game. And Bobby Reynolds, we know Bobby Reynolds. He was four-time All-State American Legion Baseball, twice All-State Football, and of course went on to be a Husker legend. Oh yeah, he was honorable mention All-State Basketball. These guys could do it all. In the 1948 basketball season, the Islander crew just kept on rolling. They're standing at 19-0 as we sit in the air hangar, watching a back-and-forth first quarter. The Tigers look like they planned to mount a challenge to the champs as they lead 11-10 at the break. Of course, a bunch of teams over the last 41 GI wins have thought they had a chance after one quarter. Whether or not the Tigers are really contenders or just pretenders, let's answer the question of what we're doing sitting in an airplane hangar. Well, the Grand Island Airport has been there for a long time. It was built in the 1920s by a group of flying enthusiasts and named the Erasmus Field after a local pilot and physician named Dr. W.W. Erasmus. It continued as a local airport until the 40s. In 1942, it became the Grand Island Army Airfield as the uh, Army Air Corps moved in to train uh, pilots and crews to fly the B-17 Flying Fortress and the B-29 Super Fortress. The 6th Bombardment Group, the 502nd, the 376th, the 449th, and the 28th all trained in Grand Island. So it was a big part of the war effort. By 1948, the airfield is turned back over in times of uh, peace to Grand Island, and it becomes the Grand Island Airport, eventually becoming what we know today as the Central Nebraska Airport. But what's it doing hosting basketball games? Well, as I said earlier, the air crew 
the Air Corps build a hangar, a, a gym inside a hangar. Now, I've talked to uh, somebody who played there in 1954, Hastings, Cal Johnson, and he said there was no wooden floor there. It was more like some type of, of asphalt, almost tar paper that was rolled out. He said it was much slicker than a regular floor. Grand Island didn't play all of their games there. Uh, Grand Island High at the time was still downtown uh, at what a lot of you would probably know as the old Walnut Junior High. Uh, and there was a gym there, for those of you who've been in that old Walnut gym, I played there once. Uh, no seating on the floor, just a three-sided balcony, which you always had to be kind of wary of Walnut Junior High kids uh, sending a little gift down towards you when you were playing. Um, but they didn't play their games there, it doesn't seem. It seems like most of their home games were played at the Liederkranz, a ballroom in, in downtown Grand Island uh, that belonged to a German social club. Now, the Liederkranz, again, had just balcony seating, and, and I've seen some uh, pictures from the era of the Liederkranz packed, uh, not for basketball games, I can't find any pictures of that, but for social engagements, and really, there were only about four or five rows of seats on each side. Uh, the place probably couldn't hold more than 250, 350 people. Um, so when Grand Island had big games, they moved it out to the airport hangar and they would have been excited to host this 48 district. Number one, they were the defending champs and, and were looking to roll through the district again. But number two, they'd always been frustrated in the thirties, uh, when the district tournament went to Hastings a lot, Hastings had built their manual arts gym in 1926. Uh, it held over a thousand people, maybe as many as 1500, and because of that, they often got to host the district. So Grand Island felt that they were playing on the road a lot in the district. Now in the 40s, the district had started to move around. In, in 46, it was in Fremont. In 47, Grand Island had won it in York. And now in 48, it comes to Grand Island. So they chose to host it out in the airplane hangar. 3,000 people. That's, that's a pretty great crowd for that era. Grand Island will continue to host games there until their new building is built in 1954. That airport hangar even hosted the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters in March of 1950. I'm going to take another quick uh, Hall of Fame timeout and talk about one of my favorite uh, art artifacts that they have. Uh, they have the notebooks of Bill Madden, who was a longtime uh, Hastings and Scotts Bluff sports editor. Um, and they've got his notebooks, look like his working notebooks. Uh, they have it open to some pages. It looks like uh, for every year he had a page on each team in his area. You know, he would keep track of their schedule, their top players, any special notes from the season. Uh, those documents have to be amazing. I hope uh, that at some point uh, the Hall of Fame can put together the money to scan those because it would be amazing for everybody to have uh, access to those. I know Bill Madden played a big part in the formation of the Big Ten at least as cheerleader, if not as idea guy that helped put that conference together. Hastings doesn't back down in the second quarter, and we end the first half having had four ties and seven lead changes. The scoreboard tells us that Hastings leads 23-21 to 21 at the break. In some ways, we shouldn't be surprised to see the Tigers making this a battle. They are led by junior All-Stater Chuck Stickles, the thin man, who will be All-State basketball this year and next, and their front line features Big Ted Connor, a 6'4 All-State lineman in football. Hastings has their own win streak going, too, at 13 games, including a win over Lincoln High. 
On the other hand, Grand Island counters the six foot Stickles and six four Connor with Toft and Nickram at six six and six four and playing guard. And those forty one Islander wins include three over the Tigers by an average of twenty three points each, including a forty eight to twenty drubbing earlier this year. Add to those thrashing another 23-point win by GI in 1946 and an Islander District triumph over the Tigers in 45, and it's been a long time since Hastings was on the winning side of this rivalry. And it's not long after halftime that it starts to look like this upset bid is falling apart. Hastings, 7 for 15 from the free throw line in the game, struggles mightily from the line in the third quarter as the Islanders score 11 straight points and pull ahead 32 to 23. The Tigers come to life briefly with a couple buckets at the tail end of the period to avoid getting shut out in the quarter and close the margin to 32-27. Then it is the fourth quarter, an unlikely hero time. Off the bench comes Tiger Bob Augustine, who the Hastings Tribune calls an unsung sub-forward, and he hits two consecutive baskets to open the stanza and put the orange and black right back into the fight. Newspaper accounts will describe the game as, quote, heart-stopping, and the crowd as, quote, hysterical. Of course, the familiarity of the two rivals adds to the atmosphere. The two teams, both led by Hastings College grads, Grand Island's Aub Givens and Hastings' Roy Bassett, are separated by only 25 miles of highway and have been playing football and basketball since at least 1907. There have been times the rivalry heated up too hot for adult comfort. In the 1920s, the two school administrations took a break from competition after some heated extracurricular activities, and play resumed only after the two student councils met at the Platte River to literally bury a hatchet and pledge a more civil relationship. Well, that relationship is plenty strained on this March night at the airport as the lead continues to swing back and forth. Toft is leading the Islander charge. He'll end with 17 points, but it is stickles with the ball as the clock goes under a minute and the scoreboard reads 37 all. The thin man will attack the hoop and drop in the winning bucket with under 30 seconds left. The final GI possession will give the streak a chance to continue, at least to overtime, as Reynolds is fouled by Rob Roy Williams. The future Mr. Touchdown will swish the first, but the second bounces harmlessly off the rim and the Tigers and their fans explode with joy. The Hastings Tribune will call the Tiger victory both thrill-studded and thrill-soaked. Yes, soaked. I'm sure there were plenty who sweated off some calories in both crowds. The win is Hastings' fourth straight in the year, the first over GI since 45, and the first district title since 1943. Grand Island absorbed its first loss since Scott's Bluff got the better of them in the opening round of the state tournament in 1946, almost two years to the day before this night. The streak dies at 41, but it's already a Class A record, one that still stands, even though it is eventually tied by Omaha Central. But that wasn't until 2012. And most significantly of all, this district title wasn't for a trip to Lincoln in the state tournament. That had been decided the night before in the Friday semifinals. There were only four Class A districts, so both finalists would qualify. Both Hastings and Grand Island would make the trip to state, and Grand Island would still be defending their 1947 state championship. The state tournament seating procedures in the 40s 
don't look very good when you look at this year. Step one was always to take the four district champions and protect them from each other. So that meant Scott's Bluff out of the west, Hastings out of the central, Lincoln Northeast out of Lincoln, and Omaha Creighton Prep out of Omaha were protected and wouldn't play each other. But they didn't really take time to put those teams in one, two, three, four order. They just picked them into protected spots in different games. Then they took the district runners up and did the same thing. But it's not like they took the uh, perceived weakest district champion, who would have probably been Scott's Bluff, and matched them up with the top runner-up, which would have been Grand Island. And then they would have probably uh, taken the weakest runner-up, Curtis, and put them against the top champion, uh, which probably would have been Creighton Prep. Instead, they just randomly drew the teams in, and we ended up with first-round games that pretty much everybody agreed matched the top four teams, with champion Creighton Prep drawing Grand Island and champion Hastings drawing Omaha runner-up Boys Town. Now, Lincoln Northeast might have objected to my characterization there because they had beaten Hastings earlier in the year really quite handily. And they drew a great first-round matchup. They got to play the surprise team out of the West, who I think was about uh, a 7-10 team, the Curtis Aggies. So Northeast draws an easier first-round game. Hastings has to go against Boys Town and uh, their star, Tom Carradine, who is probably someone we uh, neglected when we went over best athletes of all time. If I was looking at Boys Town again, I think I would put Carradine up against uh, the other people we talked about. Uh, but Boys Town comes through and uh, beats Hastings 38-30. to And Northeast wins uh, the Curtis game pretty easy. So that's going to match up Northeast and Boys Town. On the other side of the bracket, the game everybody was watching. In fact, it drew 11,000 in the Coliseum. Grand Island 38, Creighton Prep 29. So the defending champions live on. And then in the game that everybody just kind of ignored, <laughs> Western champion Scott's Bluff beat Falls City, the runner-up out of the Lincoln District, uh, pretty easily, 46-29. to So that set up a semifinal between Grand Island and Scotts Bluff. Uh, That was a rematch of the Big Ten title game that Grand Island had won easily. They win easily again, 54-31. Northeast beats Boys Town, 40-34. So we have a Grand Island-Northeast matchup, and Grand Island runs away with it, winning their second straight Class A title, 50 to 24. So, how big an upset was really that Hastings game at the airport? Well, let's look at the other classes really quick, and and then I'll go back to that question. In Class B, it was Seward winning the state championship, defeating Ord in the final by 10 points. They were led by their all-stater, Roland Rivers, who uh, was about 6'6", junior, and averaged about 18 points a game. In Class C, it was an all-W final uh, as Wakefield outlasted Waverly 35-31. And Wakefield's top player is someone we've heard of before, Bob Erickson, who goes on to be a NAIA coaching legend for the Doan Tigers. Uh, he led Wakefield to that state title. In Class D, it was the Weston Bobcats, the purple and white Bobcats of Weston, uh, defeating Hildreth 27-24 and winning that title. Okay, let's go back to my question about does Grand Island going on to win the state title mean that the Hastings upset in the airport wasn't one of the biggest upsets of all time? 
Well, I think you could you could argue it either way. Obviously, if that had been a all or nothing district and they'd have sent the state champions home for good, then yeah, it probably is one of the biggest ever. But balancing it on the uh, other side, even though it's not an all for nothing, it still was a shocker uh, to the state. Grand Island at that point seemed invincible. And again, not just because of basketball. Um, they were a football power. They were a baseball power. And in fact, even after Toft and uh, Nickram graduate, they're going to go on to win the state football championship again in the fall of 48. So they were the, definitely the uh, powerhouse. And maybe, you know, a powerhouse like we haven't seen very often, one that dominates all sports over a, really a stretch of three years. And uh, and Hastings upsetting them was a shocker. And, and I think the best way I can... Uh, tell you what a shocker it was is the way the AP reported the score on that Saturday night in March in 1948. Uh, they sent out all the other district scores just like normal, and then they listed the Hastings score this way. Hastings 39, Grand Island 38, and in parentheses, correct. They knew newspapers all over the state would see that score and would doubt it because of Grand Island's dominance, the way Grand Island had beaten Hastings earlier in the year and in the year before, that they just wouldn't believe that would happen. So they put correct on the score that went out so the newspapers uh, wouldn't switch it around or wouldn't be calling them, asking them what's going on. Hastings 39, Grand Island 38, correct. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of Suiting Up Varsity. Remember, you can uh, make contact with us on the internet. On Twitter, we are at SuitUpVarsity. On Facebook, we're at Facebook.com slash SuitingUpVarsity. Get on there and let us know what episodes you'd like to hear. Uh, We're looking for kind of some mini-episode ideas. Uh, We've got some things planned. I think we're going to look at a couple of the Norfolk State Championships in the 80s and the 90s. Uh, I think we're going to look at... Uh, some books on Nebraska high school sports and maybe do some reviews. But if you've got some other ideas, uh, give us a holler. We'd love to hear it. Thanks for listening. This has been Suiting Up Varsity, Episode 5, written and produced by me, Greg Mays, technical and research assistance by Tate Mays, helpful audio advice and encouragement from my friend Chris Chukai, and as always, dedicated to Jerry Mathers, the godfather of Nebraska high school sports history and the inspiration for this podcast. Suiting Up Varsity is the anchor show of the Nebraska Varsity Network. Copyright 2016.